Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Shirley. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean. Welcome. If uh, I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor for Teach Past Year for Redemption Peoria. And, uh, we're one church, 10 different congregations. Each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led. Might have some questions about that, but, uh, and that totally makes sense. Myself and the elders will actually be out by the Connect Desk uh, to help you navigate you know, any questions you would have. Uh, and any of the workings of that. So we're going to jump right in. I just have two quick things to say, though, before we do. Uh, number one, you're going to hear Josh announce this next week. Um, baby dedications or child dedications is next week. So if you have had a kid recently, a child recently, which, judging by the numbers, basically half of our church has had a kid, um, then, then it's time to kind of process what that means to dedicate them and why we do it that way. I'm sending out the email tomorrow. So if you are looking to have your child dedicated, then you need to kind of get connected. Josh will give you some ways at the end of service to be able to do that. Uh, And that makes me think of the second thing, which just is a moment of gratitude on behalf of myself, the elders, and the staff. Um, For those of you who work in the kids' ministry every single week or every other week or however you serve, if you're a sub or whatever it is, honestly, I mean this, thank you so much. And I'm not just saying that. You can ask my wife. I'm not very good at saying thank you. But the reality is my wife was able to sit in service because of people like you. You... Uh, take time, you take half your Sunday, you go to a service, you serve during a service, and it's not easy. I get, believe me, I get it. The Sundays I don't preach, I ask somewhere if I need to cover, and there's a lot of times where I do, and there's moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. Um, and, and I just throw it out to you because every single week you're faithful. Um, and, and I know some of you have a heart for it, uh, and that makes it all the more uh, great that you get to serve in that way. And there's also huge needs. There's some of you who um, would love to serve in that way, and there's obviously needs for that. But just honestly, a big thank you for those of you who have been faithful. It means a lot, honestly. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Let me read the text. It's one verse, uh, but there's a lot to get uh, behind as we read it. Uh, first service, I went long, and Joshua made it quick enough. He said people would rather listen to him than me, so I'll hurry up. Um, let me read it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you for Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Thank you that it is God-breathed, that you gave it to us as a gift, that it encourages us, it convicts us, and it propels us to move. Thank you for it. Lord, we recognize maybe the watching world would read a passage in the Bible or specifically this verse and think nothing of it. It's just words on a page. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we trust, Spirit, you have moved and continue to move in this text. Thank you so much for it. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's where we are. Um, We've been in Ephesians. If you're new, I'm going to say this quick. We've been in Ephesians since the beginning of the year. The first three chapters of Ephesians is just theology. It's throwing out these theological truths. The second half of Ephesians is what we're in, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are the practicalities or the response of the first three chapters. Now, Jim got up here about a month ago, and he walked us through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, which is propelling us to the section that we're in. Meaning this, in 17 through 24, Paul uses language of you used to be this way, you used to have this old life, this is how you used to operate, but now, and the language that he uses is, put off that old life. 
It was deceptive. There was a, a way that you thought you were living that was bringing you life, but it was actually bringing your destruction. So put that old person away and take on this new person. And then from there, like he's, he may get as heady as he does with predestination in chapter one. He gets just uber practical in four, five, and six. And this is what he does. Here's what I want you to do. I want to go to the basics. Let's take this off and put this on. Let's stop stealing. Let's do this. Let's stop lying. Let's do this. And here's the rhythm that he does with all these kind of basic truths of Christianity. He starts with stop doing this, put this away, put this on, start doing this. And here's why. So last week, this week, next week, the week after, that's our rhythm. That we need to stop doing this one thing. We need to start doing this. And here's why. And last week we talked about uh, anger uh, and dealing with that and all all, all the deals. We need to put that away. We need to take something on. And here's why. Uh, So he kind of goes through this whole deal uh, over and over in that rhythm. So we're going to read it in that way. So let's start in verse 28. We're going to spend the majority of our time... Uh, on the back half of this verse, but I want to go through uh, the, the front half, obviously, um, talking through what we need to first start with taking off or putting away. Let the thief no longer steal. Let the thief no longer steal. There's two observations about this. Number one, I want you to notice, um, and sin isn't usually talked about too often like this, notice the taking on of a persona. Let the thief. Now, what we find actually a lot in sin in the Bible is there's not a lot of persona language, meaning It's only in the LGBT community um, that we see if a believer takes on and they would say, I am gay. No one says, I am a drunk. I am a liar, right? No one says that we don't use that. Like we say, well, no, I drink too much or I lie, but we don't take on the persona like that. It's not often that we use this language. Well, hear this, let the thief, it takes on, there's somebody, and it keeps using the he, like almost men are the only one who steal, which is not true. We'll get there. Um, It's the thief. Let the thief, let the thief here stop stealing. Stop. Now, here's the second thing I, I think it's important uh, to understand about this. Culturally, man, you're, you might be a believer in here, and it's just, let's, be, let's call it what it is. You don't need to be a believer to agree with that first part. Like, the norm in our society is that stealing is not okay. So the first basic, like, block that Paul's going to build on that we need to stop doing, most in the room, believer or not, are, we're going to go, well, yeah. But here's what I want to say. Um, Because we know that's so obviously true, I worry sometimes um, how Christians approach stealing. It feels like there's moments where we intentionally live in the gray, the fuzziness when it comes to stealing. So usually what you would hear in a point point like this when someone says don't steal, you're right. You're not just stealing your neighbor's lawnmower outright, but, well, you're stealing time on the clock or you're cheating on your taxes just a little bit or whatever it is. And those are practical things that we might be able to lay down. Stop doing this, 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 this. But can we just stop for a moment and recognize something? Before we can ever get there, stealing comes from somewhere. There's something deep within you. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 15. Listen to this. In Matthew 15, he says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander, and he goes on. Listen to this. Okay. He, he names murder, adultery, sexual morality, evil, thought, evil thoughts, false witnesses, slander. And he mentions in that list, theft. But listen to what he says. Where does theft come from? Look at the beginning of 19. Out of the heart. So stealing is coming from somewhere. So let me ask you this. You may not outright steal anything, Why, when it comes to stealing, are Christians okay with living in the gray? 
Let me give you a prime example. So we use ProPresenter. Is that what we use, Josh? Is it ProPresenter? Okay, so we use ProPresenter for all of our music and, I don't know, whatever else, quotes and all that stuff, okay? So we use this for the screens. ProPresenter um, costs money, FYI, okay? It costs money to buy. Does it cost us to continue to use it? No. Okay, we just bought it one time. Good. We did buy it, though, right, Josh? What I'm about to say? Okay, good. Okay, so... <laughs> So I've been, part of, uh, I was, I've been part of a church where, or, or youth group where, um, and it's easy to get ProPresenter online if you steal certain key gens. Like, it's easy to get it. And to be honest with you, if one church has it, it's for the glory of God, another church could use it, right? And there's this gray area about, well, what if you're not using it at the same time? So let me just, why are we so willing when it comes to areas of stealing? I mean, technically, you're not stealing that music. Technically, you're not stealing that movie. Technically, eh, am I breaking right? Am I te- well, it's so weird, right? Like, because if your wife was out with somebody, technically she's not, she's with them alone in a hotel room, technically not sleeping with them though. I mean, they're just kind of together, right? Like, no, 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 let's be clear. I'm not comfortable with you alone in a room with a, a man in a hotel room. Let's just draw a line right there. Like, so there's other areas where we're super rigid about how we approach certain things, but But when it comes to stealing, it's like we like living in this gray area. Hear hear me. Outside of the practicality of it all, man, I think you need to go to Matthew 15, verse 19, and recognize there's a hard issue in there. You're okay. I'm okay with living in the gray, with living in the fuzziness of stealing. He goes on. There's the first block. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, so here's what we're to take on, but rather let him labor. So it's simple, right? So the first one you go, I'm not stealing. Okay, fine. We'll get a job. Well, yeah, that makes sense too. So can I just say something real quick about now not stealing but getting a job? I think there is something to be said about the believer who for a long period of time consistently takes from the government or someone else when they don't need to. Like if you are able to work and you don't, that seems to push against the Christian way of life. Like if you are able to work, not just because of Ephesians 4 here, but you are quite literally designed to work. And if you can, and I understand some can't, there are extenuating circumstances where where people can't, but if you can and you're not working, that's not okay. Like you need to work. Now, if you're like, Jim, you're like 95 years old and (laughs) it's like, listen, you did your time. We love you. We'll take care of you. Okay. Um, so, so hear, hear me when I say this. It starts with an easy, don't steal. We all agree. Well, then, yes, get a job. For the most part, like, okay, cool, that, that makes sense. And then it adds another block. And nowhere else in the other parts does it do this. It describes how we're to do this. Listen to it, okay? But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So, so you ready? Don't steal. I get it. That's easy. There's four parts to this. Don't steal. Okay, well, fine. Get a job. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. We should get a job. Okay, well, now do that job well. Do it honestly. Do it honorably. Like, put the time in, be a good employee. Now, suddenly, it's starting to feel a lot more difficult. And if you've been here long enough, you know that Redemption Church desperately cares about what you do for your job. Your vocation matters. Matter of fact, one of the modules that we do with our leadership development program is we use Amy Sherman's book, Kingdom Calling, and we talk about the importance of training people in their vocation. Let me read a little uh, part from it real quick, because I think it's helpful in her talking about this job. I don't think I have this one on the screen, but listen. 
Every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seemed to have been forever lost and forgotten in the rubble of history, will be seen on that day, at the final resurrection, to have contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. All who committed their work in faithfulness to God will be by him raised up to share in the new age and will find that their labor was not lost, but that it was found in place, I'm sorry, but it was found in its place in the completedness. So here's um, why this is important. Not only to have a job, because you're not supposed to be stealing, right? That's not the way that we want to operate, to have a job, but we're to do this job well. Hear me, because your job matters. Labor and do it well because it matters. And I know, I get it. Some of you are like, Listen, if I died, my company wouldn't even know. Like, I'm filling reports out. They would replace me the next week. It doesn't even matter. Hear me, but it does. It does. And you may feel like, eh, I can just... No, honorably. Honorably. Unless you feel like this is some kind of guilt trip from Ephesians 4, Scripture seems to point towards this constantly. What you're doing, here's what you need to recognize. God is watching and he cares and it does matter. And you may feel like it doesn't have eternal effects, but it does. Even Amy Sherman is like, when the rubble of history, when it's all said and done, you're going to see the way you did your job mattered. It did, it mattered. And so, from the building blocks, let's start again. Don't steal. From not stealing, not sure you shouldn't, the thief should no longer steal, but he should get a job. He should labor. But he shouldn't just labor for the sake of laboring. No, no, no. He needs to labor and he needs to labor well. He needs to do it honorably. And then we get this. We get the why. And the why is where we're going to spend most of our time. It says this. So that, here's the reason that you don't steal. You get a job and you work that job honestly and well. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How anti-consumeristic is that? Let's talk about giving. Um, And I I know that some of you don't like that I um, have prerequisites before I lay out a certain part because of insecurities, but I I do when it comes to money, for sure. I come from a background, which I've shared with you guys many times, that every Sunday was 15, 20 minutes on why you need to give. It was prosperity gospel-driven, name it, claim it stuff. And because of that, and also seeing the garbage that's on TBN and also seeing all that's out there surrounding the ideas that the church just wants your money. When me as a pastor, Sean Myers as a pastor gets up and tells you to give, there's a lot of insecurity in me because I feel like um, I'm living into these self-fulfilling prophecies that the culture is putting on us. So I, 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 I do, I operate to tell you, it's, it was a lot easier for me when I was working for a vitamin company at Trivita for two years and people were asking me how to give. I was like, yeah, quit being selfish, you jerk, and give your money. That was easy, right? Because the money wasn't coming to me. I was like, yeah, give your money away to the church right now. What are you doing, right? Well, now it's like, hey, listen, my kids need to eat. I need you to give money. Um, but hear me, here's why I feel comfortable going into 28. We're not even talking about giving to the church today. I think there's a part of that that it is, but, but, but this is not fully there. It's not even like there's an insecurity there. But, but there's two things I need you to understand before we break down the back uh, part of this text. The first one is this. The church has always been known historically as giving ones. Always. It has only been since the last maybe 100 years, not even 100 years, maybe 80 years, where the church started to take on, the Christian evangelical church specifically, started to take on the idea that we just want someone's money. 
So let me just put, you, put this in front of you. That has not been the case historically. The church has always been the people who are giving away their funds. You don't believe me. Rodney Stark, uh, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, says this. Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanding sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. This has always been our MO, homie. Christianity, from the jump, has been the people to take care of those who are not being taken care of. And hear me when I say this, somewhere along the line, we've let the government take our role. Because the orphans, the widows, the disabled, you know who has always taken care of them? I mean, study the monastic movement. You know who's always taking care of the people who come into the hospitals, who ran the hospitals, who started the hospitals? Christians. I mean, I have a list here. Listen to this. You know who starts? So think earthquake in Haiti. Who's there on the ground? Samaritan's Purse started Christian. Operation Blessing started Christian. Salvation Army started Christian. United Methodist Committee of uh, Relief, you usually see as this um, uh, uh, UMCOR, uh, started Christian. American Red Cross started Christian. World Vision started Christian. The major organizations start with an ethos that we're following a God who cares for the needy. This has always been us. This is our history. And if you're a believer, you're a part of it. So what we're going to unpack here is not new to our brothers and sisters in the faith before us. It's not. The second thing that I think uh, is important is as we break this down, it doesn't come from nowhere. We have a worldview. So about four years ago, and I guess it wasn't four years ago, it was in 2014-ish. I don't remember exactly. You can look it up online. We did a series of sermons on spiritual practices. So we talked about fasting, reading your Bible, uh, um, giving is one of the things, prayer, uh, meditating, all that stuff. And so in that portion, we spent one of those Sundays talking about giving specifically. And in that, we unpacked why giving is a big deal to the Christian, where it comes from. And it's not just because we follow the person of Jesus Christ, but it's a way that we believe is wired within us. And it's, it comes from this idea, it's a euthamine. Uh, it's this idea that if this plus this plus this equals this. So let me explain to you our worldview when it comes to Christianity, how we read something. And this is what I did uh, three or four years ago. Just start with Genesis 1. If you read Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, here's what we know. God makes, he creates, and he owns everything. Let's start. That, that's where we start. The first point of this, first block of this, is God makes everything. That's from the jump of the Bible. From there, we hear these words, which are huge, okay? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over all the livestock, over all the earth, and every, uh, over every creeping uh, thing that creeps on the earth. God makes all things, owns all things, and what does he do? He gives them away. You take care of this. So from the jump, God makes everything, and he is a giver. He gives all things away. 
So he gives all things away to who? Who does he give all things away to? Us. We're the ones to now subdue. Now here's the next part of this block. If God is a giver who gives all things away to us, here's the next block of this, listen to this, in God making us, in verse 26 in Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here's the third part. We're made in the image of God. Let's roll it back. You ain't tracking with me. Let's do it again. Here we go. God made all things. He owns all things. He is a giver and he gives all things away. He gives all things to us who are made in his image. Therefore, if God owned all things and is a giver, what's that make us? Givers. Then everything we have, we are made to give. Now listen, Oprah believes that. She does. It is better to give than to receive, but we have a foundation of why. Literally, we believe in our worldview. We are wired as humanity to be givers. And you don't even need to be a believer to know that. You know that happiness is not found in hoarding. And yet here we, we see a, like a display of like dense theology that, that puts in front of us that if God gives all things away, if God is a giver, he gives us those things, we are made in his image, well then we're givers. This is, this is a part of who we are. Now, Let's break this down because it's important. When it says this, which is what we just did, we are, from the jump, doing honest work with with our own hands so that we would have something to share. So let me just stop there real quick. When you budget, you're having something to share. This is not new to Christianity. When you're, you're looking to spend, you're thinking through having something to share. But it's not just something to share with anybody, right? Like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm sharing with my wife. We're sharing together. No, listen, listen to the language. With anyone in need. And this is the last block. Sure, I'm not going to steal. Yes, I have a job. And maybe, yes, you do it honorably already. But do you do that job? Do you work those longer hours? Do you put in all that hard work so that you could give more to the needy? Now, the needy becomes super relative in our culture, right? It's like, well, I need a new TV. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want a new TV, which is totally fine, but you don't need a new TV. So I don't know how to give, like, I thought about ways to process, well, then who's the needy? But the reality is, like, it always can go further, right? Because you're in some socioeconomic class right now, and as you process the needy, there's someone around you that is more needy than you, but here's the reality. There are poor, poor people than even them, and then you got, like, beyond them, there's probably the panhandler somewhere who doesn't even have what they have, and even the panhandler in America has a, more than a poor person in a third world country, and even a poor person in a third world country, there's people who are poor, poor people in those third world countries who live in slums. So you can keep rolling this back Who's the needy? I don't know who the needy is. So let me just put this in front of you as easy as I can make it. If you know someone who is in need, however you would define that, I, I can't give that to you. However you would define that, it's your job. It's your job. But can I say be careful? Because you turning a blind eye, not looking at all those needs, you're not the first person to do this. Matter of fact, a man comes to Jesus and asks how he can get in with him and God. Man, I, like, I just want to be in. Jesus begins to lay down these questions, eventually gets to, well, love God and love your neighbor. And, and then listen to this. This is important. I want you to hear this. I actually want to read it. Listen to Luke 10, okay? This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, Jesus, 
responds to the man who goes, well, who's my neighbor? But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Did you hear the beginning of that? The man's looking at Jesus. He wanted to, what was it? I want to justify myself. I want to be cool with where I'm at. I'm I'm cool with like not, I want to justify myself. So let me, I don't know the needs. (laughs) Okay, listen to Jesus, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return and reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Stop. Here's Jesus, the guy trying to justify himself. I don't know who the needy, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? All right, well, let's pretend here's a guy walking down, gets beat half to death. First person walks, sees the man beaten half to death, turns a blind eye, walks on the other side of the road. Second guy comes, does the exact same thing. Turns an eye, goes, turns a blind eye, goes down to the side of the road. The third guy sees him, steps up to the plate, takes the half-beaten man, puts him in his car, takes him to a motel, leaves his credit card, and says, I'll return. So as this plays out, Jesus then is painting this picture. You ready for the question? Listen. So he, he uh, goes through all that. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Gotcha. Which one? Verse 37. The expert in the law replied. Here's his response. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. (laughs) He got him so good. What do you do? Like, okay, you don't know who your neighbor is? When you see someone who's in need, that's your neighbor. Take care of them. Be careful you're not metaphorically walking on the other side of the road. Be careful. The needs are around us. If Google has opened any possibility, you can just type those in need. They are plentiful. They're here. They're abroad. They might even be your neighbor, your coworker. No, they're around. Let's not be like the priest. Let's not be like the Levite and walk on the other side of the road. Be careful. Be careful. So this lends its hand to the big question, why on earth is this so difficult? Why is this so hard to do? About three or four years ago, my middle son Titus, I don't remember if it was for his birthday or Christmas or whatever, he, um, he got some money, I think it was like 50 bucks or something. And so we started the process of like tithing, right? So Give 10%, you know, good Pharisee of parents of us. And so you give you 10%. And we started walking him through what he needs to give. And I think we actually told him he needs to give $10, right? Because we're extra holy. And so he starts to cry. And the language, the words he uses, he's since been sanctified, washed in the blood of Jesus. But his words he uses is, but then I won't have money for more toys. Now listen, you think, oh, cute and kind of sad and selfish. Like, listen, we're all doing that. We're all doing that. You want to know why it's so hard? And you may not like that I would say this. I can only think of one word, and it's the word that the New Testament continues to bring up over and over, having to do with more. It's the word greed. 
The reason this is so difficult is because of greed. You want more. And, and again, non-believers would look and go, of course more doesn't bring me happiness. And yet the subtle consciousness of the consumer is always recognizing that Amazon offers two-day free shipping. And so here we are, stuck in this Christian world, you telling us that if we give away, we'll find true joy, and yet we constantly hear this false narrative, this false fake news, this false gospel, that if we get, if we get, we get, hear me, it's greed, and it's sneaky. So last year, we, uh, we spent some time, as all of the RCs, the Redemption communities, going through a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, and in, on one of the chapters in greed, he says this, listen to what he says, I think it's so profound. Honestly, one of the best quotes that I think I can share on this topic in general. Listen to him, how he dices this whole thing up and how greed is so tricky when it comes to us recognizing we got money because we got a job and we're not stealing, but you got that money so you can give to the needy. Do you hear that? You got that money so you can give to the needy. You got the raise so you can give more to the needy. You understand? More an hour so you can give more to the needy. That's why you got the money. But greed is tricky. Listen to this. Why can't anyone in the grip of greed see it? The counterfeit God of money uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics. Everyone tends to live in a particular socioeconomic bracket. Once you are able to afford to live in a particular neighborhood, send your children to its schools, and participate in its social life, you will find yourself surrounded by quite a number of people who have more money than you. Right? So you're in a bracket, everyone's in a socioeconomic bracket, a certain money range, and in that range, somebody's going to have more than you. You're a teacher, another teacher's going to probably be paid more than you, or even if they're paid the same, they have a husband or wife who works, same, they're going to they're have more than you. This is true for everyone, okay? They're going to have more money than you. But see, you don't compare yourself to the rest of the world. You compare yourself to those in your brackets. The human heart always wants to justify itself, and this is one of the easiest ways you say, I don't live as well as him or her or them. My means are modest compared to theirs. You can reason and think like this no matter how lavishly you are living. And as a result, most Americans think of themselves as middle class and only 2% call themselves upper class. But you ready? But the rest of the world is not fooled. When people visit here from other parts of the globe, they are staggered to see the level of materialistic comfort that the majority of Americans have come to view as a necessity. Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet, um, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. Be careful. Because it's not the sexually immoral, it's not the homosexual, it's not the drunkard, it's not the liar that Jesus says has trouble getting into the kingdom of God. You know who's going to struggle, who, who has a harder time getting into the kingdom of God? The rich. And you may trick yourself and say you're not. Hear me. Everyone in this room has a harder time getting in the kingdom of God than those people in those other countries. Every single one of us. It's deceptive. You look, you compare, and hear me, man. I'm speaking like firsthand. When we planted this church almost four years ago, when we planted this thing, we processed like 
the rest of our life. And so we bought a house almost four years ago, and that was the house we're going to live in for the rest of our life. We, we're there. We're not moving. And the reality is we probably couldn't sell it for how much work I've done on the house. It's just a disaster. But even if we wanted to, we couldn't. It's ours. It's set there. We want to live there for the rest of our life. We're four years in, and hear me when I say this. The comfort is intoxicating at times. It's, it's, it's easy. I, I, I almost feel it weakly come upon me. It's coming upon me like, it's harder to think to myself, I'd give it all. It, it's harder to say, like, I'll sell it all and I'll move. It, it becomes more and more difficult as the tentacles sink in, as comfort takes grip for me to be willing to lead my family to give to the needy. It's hard. And greed has such like a, a restriction on my heart at times. And I'm telling you, the only answer that I've seen in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to fight and combat greed is giving. Give lavishly. Give wildly. Give, give, give. So um, there's a book by David Platt that was um, written, and, and it's called Radical. And this book, if you're not familiar with it, it was written, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And it came on the scene and it blew up. But people had a lot of issues with it because uh, the reality is sometimes it has this idea. It's pushing a little bit of the agenda of the poverty gospel. So if the prosperity gospel says if you give, you'll get all this stuff. The poverty gospel says the poorer you are, the more faith you have. So you have a bunch of college students, 19-year-olds, sitting in a dorm room going, I'm just super righteous because I only got $5 to live on this month. No, you're not. That's not how it works. And so people tend to like push in as if, I, if I can be more poor, I'll be more righteous. And we're only righteous by the blood of Jesus. Now, even though that may have a stigma on that book, I think the ethos of the book is very true. There are things that you have to uh, kind of chew away at. But man, what he gets at is huge. And hear me, when we are selfish, when we are greedy, when we withhold and don't give to the needy, okay, it doesn't just hurt our own souls. Hear me, it hurts them as well. It does. This is exactly what he says in this book. Listen to this. Consider the cost when Christians ignore Jesus' command to sell their possessions and give to the poor instead of choose to spend their resources on better comforts, larger homes, nicer cars, and more stuff. Consider the cost when these Christians gather in churches and choose to spend millions of dollars on nice buildings to drive up to, cushioned chairs to sit in, and endless programs to enjoy for themselves. Consider the cost for the starving multitudes who sit outside the gate of contemporary Christian affluence. Consider it. Process that. Now hear me. I, everything within me wants to like combat that guilt. What you're feeling like, well, okay, okay, no, there's always a way. I mean, I get it. You got to do. No, no, hear me. It's there. Like to, to even be made perfect, Jesus, we're going to read a, a, a verse in a second. Jesus puts in front of this man, okay, fine. You want to be made perfect? Go sell all that you have. So as much as I want to like, slow, like temper this command that's put at us in Ephesians 4, 28. I just don't think it's there. It ends there. You stop stealing, get a job, do it well, work the hours, earn the money to give away. That's the Christian life. And you may feel like it's radical. You may have your excuses. That's the Christian life. I don't know what to tell you. Ephesians 4, 28 is putting it there. At the same time, leading with guilt is never good. So here's what I would ask you to do. Take that guilt, which I would argue might be a little meshed in conviction, if I can be honest. Take that and let it drive questions. 
Because the reality is, the elders know, man, I struggle with having the money that I have, having the house that I have. I mean, I, you guys know this. I don't even like the dog that I have, and I struggle having him even though we have to keep him. Like, I just, I, I, it's a struggle. Like to, and I've shared this with you guys. There was a moment in Candace and I's marriage when we first got married. Um, I was going through this whole process, and so one day I was done with it. I was done with earthly things. Our house was going into foreclosure. We ended up short-selling it, so I was like, I'm done with holding these things. I took everything we owned, all of our music, my Tupac CDs are gone. I took all the DVDs, all of our furniture, our dining set, our tables. I put it all out on the driveway, and we had a yard sale. I think we made like 400 bucks, and we gave it away. And for a year and a half, we sat on floors to eat on the tile, we sat on carpets and played games. I did it. I, I gave everything because, I, and it was all driven by trying to earn. So hear me. Here's all of it. Take that conviction. Take whatever you may be feeling. Well, I, I don't like what I'm going and make it ask questions. Like just, just if you, there's so many things that we can like pick out. Like, do you need that TV package? Do you need that upgrade? It's so like intoxicating because if I was to throw out the idea that, that you might get a $10,000 raise going into t- 2019, it would be lunacy to assume you don't need to up your standard of living. Give all 10000 away. It would be crazy. You're perfectly fine. You're putting money into savings. You're taking care of the mortgage. Your family's okay. You got the vacay. But hey, you can up your standard of living. It would be crazy to assume if you got that raise, you'd give it all away. No, you have been given to give to the needy. That's the call. So here's what I want to do. I want to finish the way that we finished last week. And uh, processing it more, um, we're going to actually finish all of our times uh, for the next three weeks like this. Because there's a practicality of not lying, right? Uh, Not stealing, telling the truth. Next week, using our words, that it would be good for us to meditate on. And so we're going to do exactly what we did last week. If I can have the band, specifically Sarah, come up. We're going to sit, and I'm going to lead us through meditation. If you weren't here last week, relax. It's okay. We're going to sit in the scriptures. I'm going to read us 20 texts. As we sit, we're going to be, we're going to hear what God says about giving to the needy. And some of these texts lend their hand to giving to the, 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 need, the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some not so. Some are how the Lord feels about the, the poor and marginalized and the needy. But we're going to read them. We're going to see what it says. And we're just going to be for a little bit. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for the reminder that Ephesians 4.28 puts in front of us that We have jobs. We have jobs that we can work hard at and honestly at and honorably at so that we have something to give away. The allure of the American dream is extremely enticing. I can't help but just want safety for my family. So I put myself in safer neighborhoods. I can't help but want comfort for my wife. So we drive more comfortable cars. It's so enticing. It's so alluring. Let us combat that greed with giving. Let us see the needy and give. May our resources not be our own. Help us, Holy Spirit. Take a minute and just be. We're going to sit. 
five seconds of silence. You need it. Life is so busy. Learn to be still. Lord, be with us as we read your word. Jesus, remind us that you are the word incarnate. The words we're going to read here are reflected in your life. Sitting there, eyes closed. Just hear these words. See what God does. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. There will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and sisters and towards the poor and needy. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Yes. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Amen. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor sit for a couple seconds we're halfway through what sticks out in those verses what is God saying to you gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. The righteous care about the justice for the poor, but the wicked, they have no such concern. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. That's when an angel told Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. 
your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. For if a man comes into the assembly with gold rings and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down here on my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Go out at once into the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And when you give a reception or a party, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection. Almost done, just sit. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Finally, describing our leader. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Father, help us see these texts well. Help us know that you want us to hear them. You want them to shape us. It's not the commercials that should be shaping us. It's not other lifestyles that should be shaping us. It's not people in different brackets or lives that are portrayed on Facebook or Instagram that should be shaping us. No, no, no. God, please let your word shape us. Let us see that you've given us jobs to be able to do what we do so we can give to the needy. May an ever-present idea of standing before you in judgments be there. Help us. Jesus, thank you so much that you're not just pointing us in a direction to take care of the needy, but you lived it out. You you drew near those who were without a shepherd. You took care of those thousands of people who were hungry. You went towards the woman at the well. You, you, You dealt with the woman with the issue of blood. And you continue, Jesus, in your life to draw near to those who were in need. May we follow your example. Help us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We sing to you. May we offer sacrifices of giving to the needy as well. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.